This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. So in the last episode with Ron, we talked about you know, the introduction to offshore investment and uh, we discussed the different requirements for opening an offshore uh, brokerage account, including things like a national ID, a utility bill for your address, the passport, and uh, how you can navigate around getting the different details. We also talked about the advantages of investing offshore such as you know, the price movement as well as the fact that you can buy um, percentages of a stock as compared to our stock if you can't afford it. So we have Roy on the show again and today we want to talk about the different types of brokerage accounts which you can access, the platforms where you can invest offshore and some of the myths and misconceptions of investing offshore. Welcome to the show again. Uh, thank you very much, Ali. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. Okay, so right on. So uh, today, I think we'll start maybe with the article that I saw on uh, Business Daily. The article was uh, gross savings hit record low on legal returns. The article is done by the Kenya Institute for Public Policy Research and Analysis, KIPRA 2020 report. And what it shows is the gross savings stood at 761.1 billion as of the end of 2018, a sharp decline from 907.4 billion in 2018. In recent years, such a low gross saving was last recorded in 2002. It's a long time ago, about 18 years ago. Right, so they say the low returns on savings act as a catalyst for people to save less and cash out on their savings and opt to hold their cash in assets with better returns. Now, they continue on the same article and the overall low savings is driven by a lack of alternative to bank deposit culture. That's the culture Kenyans have. The bigger the bank deposit, the better. But the problem with that is there's no return. You're getting from having a big account. Yes, the money is there and it's quite liquid. You can go withdraw it, but it's not working for you. It took time for you to actually make that amount of money. You should at least on worst case scenario have two people working. Now you have the money that you worked hard for. It should do the same just for you because you will need to take your view later in your years. That will be your retirement nest uh, saving. So a lack of better product offering from well-regulated and reliably executed service providers has left retail investors with very limited options save for the anemic stock market, almost non-existent existing corporate debt market and almost no foreign exposure. And that's where we mostly, I think, come in. You find that retail investors have no clue what is going on about the offshore market, right? And this article comes just uh, behind the same thing that Zamara said. They said you find most pension funds as well have not put enough funds into offshore section of the investment, despite the fact that it was the highest return segment of the pension funds right there is a big problem so that tells you that in kenya either the information is lacking or people don't know like for instance if i wanted to go invest off where do i go to who do i talk to where exactly there's none there's that's, that's exactly where we're coming exactly so i think that's something 
will be changing step by step. Hopefully, it gets to the right people who will take action and maybe look to learn more about how the offshore works and maybe look to even, if not go 100%, have a bit of the portfolio in there. Maybe 20% could be 20%. Most people decide to start their money somewhere in a mobile money wallet or in a bank account as opposed to you know, bring the money out there to invest you know, locally or internationally. So what I think is we have is, you know, financial literacy is quite, is something big in Kenya. Just because you have money does not necessarily automatically means, you know, you're financially well off or let's say financially educated, right? First of all, every time you have money somewhere under the mattress, there's something called inflation and it never stops, right? So you have a thousand now, uh, inflation was 10% this year, means as you begin, you're already 10% below the following year, right? Because your money is not worth what it was last year. That's because of inflation. So you need to have your money working for you. If worst case scenario, at least at par with inflation. So essentially, you have the same buying power next year. But the ideal situation should be that you'll be having a better buying power than you did last year. So if the inflation was 10%, you did 20%, you, you made on absolute basis about 10%. So you're better this year than you are last year. When you say money in the bank account, some bank accounts do approve interest, right? Why would you still encourage someone to decide to invest their money when you can still have interest? Rather, where do you decide, you know, that the returns on investing in my savings would give money that would outpace inflation as compared to the returns from the interest in my bank? Well, it used to be like that, right? So they used to pay 3% until parliament pulled the plug, right? Nowadays, they don't have to pay you anything. To them is free money so you're giving the bank free money and that's what they're doing the cost of funds is way low so you're giving them money to work it's like me bringing you cash and telling you okay ali here's money whenever i want to withdraw it i'll get it but i never withdraw the total amount i probably withdraw 20 percent. you still remain with that with 80 percent of my cash and you can do whatever you want and you do not have to pay me anything so the lack or knowledge on how money works is a big problem that we have. In Kenya, the biggest part goes to one, either starting a business. Uh, success rates are quite small, right? So in a five, ten year frame, you're looking at 90% of businesses probably don't exist anymore. The second option is land, and uh, that has pushed the prices of land out of, you know, very few people now can afford land, especially, say, in the Nairobi area. It's, it's quite expensive. And you're looking, what will you do with that land? Say you bought land for 10 million, right? You will need to sell it in 2020 when there's a pandemic and you want to be liquid as fast as possible. And yet you find there are no buyers. Lack of alternative and information has pushed people into not putting the money where it should be working for them better. When you talk about land, of course, there are, there are other costs that come with buying land, for example, things like land that you have to pay yep. and whatnot. Does investing offshore also come with other costs that I would call unmentioned at first? Because I mean, when you go to buy land, no one tells you about this thing. They don't, yes. For offshore, no. Once you have an account, the account is under your name. 
you don't have anything other than just buy and sell stocks anytime you want you're not taxed you know as a non-us uh, resident your capital gains are zero rated right so you don't have any tax to pay on that your dividends on the other hand will be taxed at 30 percent well that is automatically they will do that electronically so you don't have to go filing with the u.s government or the irs which is uh, the internal revenue service which is equivalent of our kra here you don't have to file anything with them our interactive brokers or whichever broker you'll be having they will do that automatically for you i would say there are no hidden charges if i would put it in a better way give or take if for instance in this year if you just had your account you'd be up eight percent because you know the kenya shillings has lost about the same just in 2020 against the dollar so you've done nothing you probably didn't invest anything but your amount was in dollars and you've gained eight percent i don't think it's a bad thing at all all right okay so you've mentioned the different accounts that a person can open can you go deeper into what brokerage account options they are buying and what's their difference all right, so you either an active or an inactive investor. So active is you're consistently looking for information that is both affecting your stock directly or indirectly. And that could be from different sources, depending on where you're looking for them. Online is the biggest, of course. Secondly, we have uh, the financial statements from the company. There's also industry reports that come from different sources. And that would be somewhere you want to learn more about both the industry and the company where it stands. When you're active means you're continuously monitoring your portfolio, right? Most people don't have that option, especially despite you probably having made money from maybe business, maybe from investments as well, or could be anything, you might not be very conversant of how the stock market works. So this is where you get managed accounts come from. So you can have your account managed either by a broker, you could have it managed by a private entity, uh, for instance, hedge funds. And uh, that would be a great way for you to make money, even though you don't understand the nitty gritties, you still could make a good return out of it. So managed accounts, it's simply you having your account being managed by somebody else, right? So for instance, I'm a managing partner of Brickling Capital LLP. We do that. So we could manage your account on your behalf, despite the fact that the account is under your name. The agreements to sign and, uh, you know, we do give you that option to get to know what we are all about. But that is the option that inactive traders have. Secondly, they could also buy into ETFs, which is the exchange traded funds. So exchange traded funds have a variety. They do track commodities, could be stocks, indices, anything. So how to find this will be, you still need somebody who is well acquitted in this, but those are the two options you have. You either get your account managed, that's number one. Number two, buy into ETFs or the exchange traded funds. Talk about All right. I have a few questions here. Right. I understand the capital markets authority Kenya was I'm monitoring the different funds that were making decisions that did quite occur well with the investor interests. Right. How does that play out when it comes to offshore investments? Rather, how much control does the investor have with regards to where the manager rather puts his money? Well, the amazing part about managed funds is you get 
to learn and to see everything that you have, right? So I could be managing your account, but you have access to it anytime, any day that you want, right? So you'll be able to see which stocks you own, how much cash you own. You don't necessarily even need to call us. You will see it on your end, right? So you can do it using your phone. You can use either your phone or you can use the computer. Any device that is internet accessible, you'll be able to do that. So the transparency that comes with it is much better. For instance, in Kenya, if you invest in a unit trust, you don't necessarily know what they're buying you know, under your name. You just know your money is there. You put in maybe 10 million or 2 million or whichever amount is, and you do not have a day-to-day analysis of what is going on, right? If you want to go exit, you just simply go and tell them I need to exit. That is different when it comes to offshore. Offshore, you have a separately managed account, which is Ali has his own account, but Ali does not understand how the ongoings of offshore investing work. So Ali will want somebody to manage the account for them. So they go, they look for a fund, could be, you know, Bricklay, could be any other hedge fund out there or any manager out there. And they attach the account to that manager. So the manager has the capability to buy and sell, but the account management is under you. It's under Ali. They first cannot withdraw that amount. That's number one. Number two, you are the one who will be, for instance, if you have to pay them, depending whether it's a management fee you agreed on or a performance fee, you have to be the one who's doing it. Does your go into the difference between the management and the performance fee? All right, so management fee, normally it's paid whether you make a profit or not. Not always the best. Why do I say that? Because it's a lazy way to make money. It's a really lazy way to make money as a fund manager, right? This is because whether I make a profit or not, I get to get paid. This is automatic. It doesn't matter. It could be 1% or 3%. In Kenya, they charge for unit trust. They charge 3% management fee. And this doesn't matter whether they make 2%, whether they made 20%, the management fee kicks in. Even if they don't make any money for you, by the way. So it's not that they're managing the investment. Yeah. You need to pay. You need to pay them. Now, there's a difference when it comes to performance-based fee. So performance-based, as it simply says, is you have to perform. So you have a hurdle rate. A hurdle rate is simply like a watermark. Okay, like let's say Roy and Ali agree that an amount above a certain hurdle rate, it could be 8%, it could be 2%. It could be any percentage that you agree and you say above this rate i'll be charging maybe for instance a performance fee of 20 percent of profit so this is on a profit basis not on total assets under management so if you make 20 percent and you had a hundred rate of eight percent so you get to get or you get paid the 20 percent management fee of the profit alone so that would work because that pushes the manager to think different secondly it makes them be very cautious because they understand if i do not make above eight percent i'm not going to get paid exactly so we're in the same boat so i make sure that the boat keeps on you know sailing as safe as it possibly can because if i don't make money that means I don't get paid. If Unitrust, for instance, uh, went on the performance basis, most of them in two years they'll be closing shop. It's just the way it is. <laughs> it's a difficult way to make money because you need to work. You need to be very good.
by the fact that I'm on the advisory side, it's a good way for you to make money because I have to work for that effort to make sure that you make money, I make money. Do we have a standard Alright, so how you simply calculated is you look at the risk-free, right? So you want to know over a long term period of time how has the risk-free performed. So the risk-free is the 10-year bond. Uh, of any country, could be Kenya, could be US. So the average for US, for instance, for the last maybe 100 years is 4%. So now that's, you know, that there's no risk there. If you invest, you get 4%. So you want to get something above the 4%. So what you will find is there's that premium that they will put on top of the 4%. So they might put like 2% above the 4%. So that means the hard rate will be 6%. They might also put 3%. Meaning the hard rate will be around seven percent. The maximum is normally a double that, so you find that will be around eight percent. So that will be probably the highest you find. So above that, then the performance fee takes effect. That will be the best way. To do so it. essentially, you're saying that ideally, in a situation where there is free investment, yes, the rate is around four percent, and we put it in a premium a, a premium, a, a premium <laughs> yeah or markup is the same thing precisely so it's the same thing in kenya you find that uh, the average could be it's around 12 percent so maybe 12.1 percent you don't need to be a genius to buy uh, you know a government bond a 10-year government bond so what would be the hard rate above that so you're looking anywhere above 13 percent if you if it's going to be one percent above the markup or maybe 14 percent hence i'm saying if for instance unit trust pushed into that direction of performance fee they might not be able to be in business for long because you know you need to get paid eventually and if you keep underperforming the, the benchmark which is the risk-free at 12 percent then you're not doing much are you could you please translate it to you know labor and labor stuff? So when you say that the hardware rate is twelve, what does this mean for a labor investor? Alright, so there are two ways to invest. You can invest in a bond, you can invest in equity. Now, equity by nature are riskier, especially if you're looking into bonds, the government bonds. They are more riskier than government bonds. So you want to be paid a higher premium. The riskier it is, the more you need to be paid for that. You just don't take risk for nothing. So the higher risk, the higher return. Exactly. That's exactly what you need. So if I invest in a government bond, the understanding is I will get 12%. So they pay twice a year. So you pay six months and then at the end of the year. So that is standard. They will pay you 12%, of course, less the withholding tax and the rest. But average will be 12%. So if Ali is looking to invest, he's found, you know, Brickling Capital as a fund manager. And you tell Brickling, okay, now I can make 12% of government bonds, but I need to take more risk and I need you to do that on my behalf. So what do you think would be a markup above what I'll easily get from a government bond? So we'd come to an understanding which would be anything above 12%. So it could be 13%, 14%. And then I'll tell you above that hard rate, then I will 
price my performance fee because I perform better than the bond automatically then I get paid when you get paid so if I don't make 14 percent even if I made say 11 percent that is free money for you I did nothing that year so I don't get paid so it's like the is some sort of like a minimum threshold exactly. of returns that you're supposed to make for you to make money. Yes. You're in, you're in the business, of course. So. Yeah. I have to put out the conflict of interest. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would you say is the likelihood of an average fund manager to hit the hardware wage? What has been the they perform better not that they do very well most of the hedge funds actually uh, underperform the S&P 500 and uh, you know that has its repercussion so most people move their money from hedge funds because they were charging both the management fee and a performance fee when ETFs opened the door for a lot of them, they just moved their money from hedge funds into ETFs. This is a reaction to the charges. And over time, you find that, you know, most of these hedge funds have reduced the prices. If anything, some of them are actually going into ETFs themselves. So you find they charge maybe a management fee, which is anywhere below 1%, but they still perform very well, right? So. That has been the repercussion of not being able to meet your heart rate over a period of time. But there are those who do very well. For instance, maybe back in, you know, at his prime, uh, Warren Buffett still is in his prime, but, uh, but he did have a partnership. It's the same thing, it's just that maybe when he started, they didn't call them the hedge fund. So the hedge fund is, you know, it's an entity that makes money both when the market's going up and down. So you're hedged on both ways and you make money on good and bad markets. So that's where the word hedge fund came from. And uh, so they were partnership. That's how they all structured their all partnership. So you become a partner in, say, Brooklyn, and there's a managing partner, and then there's just a simple partner, a limited partner. So once you become a limited partner, the managing partner manages the money on behalf of the limited partners. Right. Yes, and that is individual based. You don't necessarily, it's not like a company where you're board of directors. It's simply where the managing partner has an understanding with the limited partner and it could be very different. I could have, for instance, an agreement different from the rest of the other limited partners. So, so it's, it's bespoke? It's just, yeah. Not normally bespoke, but it's, it has to be on pen and paper because you have to sign under the dotted line. But <laughs> so it, it could be different. We could have a different agreement between me and Ali and maybe me and uh, Joyce, despite the fact that I manage money for the same, you know, we, we're all on the same platform and everything, but different agreements on how to go about managing your account. Yes, individual account, yes. What are the um, advantages and disadvantages rather, that you could point out to having an individual account as opposed to a managed account? Well, an individual account means you become your own hedge fund, right? So you're your own managing partner. You have to learn how to actually invest. You have to put in time it's not an easy job so you have to learn how it works and why it works the way it works for instance you have to know 
uh, where to put a stop loss. You have to learn how the whole platform works. You have to understand the industry that you're going to invest in, the company, these, the insiders, what they're doing, what are they selling, are they buying. Overall, you have to be your own hedge fund manager or your own fund manager, right? So you have to be very careful on what you want to do with your own amount. The advantage is you have nobody to blame. It's you. So if the account, for instance, you made a loss this year, you cannot say because the market was down or because, I don't know, something happened, you are the only one to blame. So you sort of have a monopoly of control. Exactly. That you get to benefit on the good and the bad on your own account. On your own account. You have nobody to pay on the other hand, so you find that the expenses might be lower. But you have to learn as well because, you know, the market is dynamic, keeps changing, and you have to change with it as well. So you might find maybe something that worked three, four years ago, it's not working anymore. Exactly. So you have to change with that and be able to change with the current environment. So those are the disadvantages and advantages. The biggest disadvantage is um, maybe a stock that goes against you or a position that you held and it goes against you. And, you know, because of the panic, you're looking at that and you're okay i'm down 10 percent. i'm down again 20 percent. what do i do do you average down do you sell down the position what is going to happen you have to know how to manage your position most of people tell you that you know long-term investing is there but you need to learn how to manage the positions you have how exposed are you right so is it 10 percent of your entire assets is it 20 percent and you know, the bigger the position, if it goes against you, the bigger, the more red your portfolio is. You could be having, you know, one stock that you heavily invested in and others which are, you know, they make up a very small percentage and it goes against you, you're down. Despite the fact that the rest could be in green territory. So the advantage is you have your ultimate control yeah. because you don't have to pay anyone a management fee or a performance fee. Yes. You're your own fund manager. And the disadvantage is you get to suffer from your own inexperience. True. Or your own mistakes. <laughs> so you have to look into what you want to do. I'd say it's a good thing you can just decide what you want to do and go with it. If you're a beginner, you just want to have access to offshore, maybe an ETF might be the best option you first want to do. You get exposed to the offshore markets or the foreign exchanges and all, but the good part is it gives you time to also to learn on how to go about the stock market, the offshore stock market specifically. Just look at the Markets in general. What's the balance between individuals yeah. who decide to you know, own individual accounts versus those who decide to have a fund manager? Well, individuals don't necessarily do well. I could be biased, that's number one. But in general terms, they're always getting at the wrong time. So when the market is very hot, they want to get in and you know buy as much as possibly they can. And that has a disadvantage, in fact, because if it goes against you, it can happen very quickly that you might not be able to have learned how to manage your position. For instance, you probably don't even know how a stop loss works. So you didn't have one and now you're down 50 percent. 
you're not sure what you want to do so the default setting for most is you know i'm a long-term investor now because something has gone against you become the <laughs> the true value long-term investor looking 10 years into so the future yes you don't want to take the loss and move on so you want to see at least can i break even and you get married to the position that's the worst part now this is the part where emotions really take you know stronghold in your decision making and it becomes a small uh, loss can end up being a complete wipeout on your account so it really depend on what you're looking for not everybody is active not everybody wants to learn how the stock market works right it's it sounds like something that would precisely and most people don't have that i mean you have your daily chores to do you have different things to think about i mean the stock market might not be even the, something you want to even learn or even think about you just want access to an investment so you find in kenya the only option you have maybe is unit trust and as you have seen the returns are not something to write home about but give or take i'll still say it, it's a start right so it's just that now you more will be learning that there's access to not just the kenyan jurisdiction type of investment there's also offshore investing i think this is quite a lot to unpack <laughs> no, when we started the podcast i thought accounts had very little volume but apparently there is there's a lot of integrities to yes they are yes they are so it's a process that you need to learn take your time learn about it also try to make sure you understand what is going on the best would be always make sure that you have access to your account that is if for instance somebody tells you you know we did 25% this year is it true are you confirming that from your side can you see that can you see that 25% because it will be there for instance if you're in interactive brokers you'll be able to access on both sides the manager is managing your account but on your side you're also able to see the holdings he has right so the cash amount that is still on your portfolio mm-hmm. so if he says you own 2000 shares of facebook is that true yeah but then again having visibility to your account without control just gives you you know the emotions without being able to act on them true but sometimes just let it work because most of the time i find that you know you buy a stock and it is like it was just waiting for you to buy and then it just goes against you <laughs> for no good reason and a few other times you will buy at a, you know the exact time and just blows off you know it's up 30% no those are the few times most of the time is you buy and for no good reason the stock decides okay this is the time when i reverse and uh, take a breather from going this high and the panic selling can happen immediately and you know it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and those who are well informed can see wow okay this is an opportunity so you buy into the company so the difference between investing individually and having a fund manager is of course the access to information meaningful information True. and the applicability of experience yes so you need to be able to both uh, learn how to control your emotion that is actually the hardest part so you need to know now the stock has gone against me am i supposed to average down am i supposed to sell what am i supposed to do with this thing because now i've lost money and i'm not sure what is going on do i just leave it and just forget it and say you know i tried it didn't work out and uh, this is it this is it for me let me just leave and 
go back to what I'm used to, you know. So there's both those that you need to learn about. You just need to learn about yourself because every investor, despite anything, the investment that they have is a reflection of who they are, right? So you have to learn to know your weaknesses and your strength. Are you able to control your emotions? Maybe not. Then you might not want to be the one who's actually managing your own account. Precisely. But if you find you can look at your account is down, you know, 50% and you're okay, that's not bad. You look at it and maybe everything checks out. You, You can put in more money or just know when to exactly cut your losses as fast as possible. So... The idea is cut your losses quick and let your winners run. Has always been a good, <laughs> the best policy. So it really depends on what you're looking for as an investor and uh, how sure and confident are you about yourself and the knowledge you have as you get into the offshore stock markets. I think maybe we should cut today's episode here because this is quite a lot to unpack and I want to give our listeners a time to if you have a question they will be able to reach out and ask as many as they can on uh, how to go about it and uh, learn more about it because anybody who has interest they will normally follow up for sure, for yeah sure. right guys thank you so much for joining in there's a lot more we need to talk about so next time we'll delve deeper again into the types of trends as well as the platforms that was great for you. Roy, any last words on where our future investors can find more information? If you're a beginner, I think you just need to download uh, Yahoo Finance. It's an app that gives you as much information as you possibly can. Now, there's a subscription part, then there's the free part. So just stick to the free part for now. Secondly, if you want to learn more about offshore investing, I do have a group, Kenyans Investing in Offshore Stock Markets. So it's a Facebook group. You can always reach out to us and we actually have a class which is ongoing so we try to demystify how offshore investing works to especially the retail investors but also we're looking into training for the corporate as well so it's simply just giving people information on the capability they might have or the alternative they might have on their portfolio formation from just having the Kenyan context on if your assets are all fully in Kenya shillings might not be the best as usual. So reach out to us, uh, let us know whether you'd like to learn more about offshore investing. Well, so that's it for you guys. Have a good day. See you in the next episode. Same time. Same. Saturday 10 a.m. All right. Great, great.